The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. It is Jobs Friday. The August employment report set to be released at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. The wrath of Ida, though, as the New York area begins to clean up from the storm, President Biden will head to Louisiana today to survey the damage from the Category 4 hurricane that first hit the Gulf Coast. A SPAC route, new numbers on just how much value has been wiped off companies that went public through blank check companies. We've got that coming up this hour. And a push to get Americans to get vaccinated. Another company announcing plans to entice workers with a cash bonus. And is there anything Amazon just can't do? The tech giant reportedly ready to roll out its own branded TV by next month. We've got that story and more. It is Friday, September 3rd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's get straight to the market. Yes, it was one of those days where the S&P and Nasdaq both closed again at another record high. This is the 54th record close for the year uh, for the S&P. And right now, we're indicating a higher open. The S&P higher by seven. Dow Jones Industrial up 46. The Nasdaq seen gains of around six, per, six points here in pre-market. Now, the big focus today is going to be that August employment report. Poll forecasters say the economy likely added 720,000 non-farm jobs last month. The unemployment rate is seen ticking lower to 5.2 percent from 5.4 last month. Let's take a look at bonds. The Treasury yield story, of course, right now, 10-year yield yielding 1.3 percent. We're slightly higher. The two-year note, which is a bit more sensitive uh, to interest rates, at 0.2 percent, slightly lower. Much more on the markets in just a minute. But first... The latest on Ida. Today, President Biden is headed to Louisiana to survey the damage done by the hurricane. He has pledged full government assistance to southern states directly hit by the storm, as well as the northeast, where record rain and floods have claimed dozens of lives. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us live in Washington with the latest. Tracy. Seema, good morning. Good morning, everyone. The president gets a firsthand look today at the damage from the storm, but also looking ahead at what it will take to rebuild. In Louisiana today, President Biden will tour neighborhoods devastated by Hurricane Ida and meet with local leaders and victims. My message to everyone affected is we're all in this together. The nation is here to help. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has sent 11 teams, 1,100 people, to affected states, providing water, generators, and other help. Federal agencies are helping with search and rescue, structural evaluations, and restoring power in the brutal heat. Just don't want to cry anymore. I'm tired. Yeah. And burning up at night, you know, you wake up, you feel like you're in hell. 
There are long lines as residents search for food, water, and gas. It turned into a nightmare. I mean, no gas is anywhere. The Category 4 storm killed nearly four dozen people as it made its way north. Tornadoes and rain ravaged the Northeast, causing record flooding like New York has never seen. This is the biggest wake-up call we could possibly get. President Biden's tour today to see the damage, send help, and figure out how to mitigate the impact for the next storm. Now, the president added that the storm damage, the historic flooding, and even wildfires out west were all further evidence of climate change. Seema? Yeah, it's going to be a long road to recovery. Uh, Tracy, thank you. Tracy Potts. Now to some of this morning's big corporate headlines. Christina Parsonevelis joins us with more. Christina, good to see you. Good morning, Seema. So you remember when every morning there was another big headline about a SPAC deal? Well, now we're seeing evidence of a potential fallout. New Dow Jones market data analysis finds a broad sell-off has now wiped off, wiped off roughly $75 billion off the value of companies that came through these public uh, blank check acquisitions, other known as SPACs. And so the SPAC post-deal index is down 26% in six months. In earnings news, DocuSign posting better-than-expected Q2 results after the close last night. The company says billings rose 47% from the same period a year ago. You can catch DocuSign CEO Dan Springer live on Squawk Box later this morning at 8 to 10 Eastern. And Broadcom also out with the results last night, earnings and revenue beating expectations. And the company is offering upbeat guidance on the current quarter, pointing to strong demand for its chips because of the adoption of 5G technology. Seema? Broadcom up about 12% this year. Christina, thank you. See you in a little bit. Now back to the broader market. The monthly jobs report out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, and it's likely to command a lot of attention from Wall Street to Washington. After gaining nearly 2 million jobs in the past two months, hiring likely slowed in August as the surge in cases of the Delta variant cut into demand for things like travel and entertainment. Non-farm payrolls are forecasted to have risen by 720,000 last month versus 943,000 in July. But the range of estimates are wide, from 375,000 to just over 1 million. Now, the unemployment rate is expected to drop to 5.2 percent from 5.4 in July. Let's get more insight. Jay Bryson, chief economist at Wells Fargo. I don't even think you slept last night, right? This is a crucial jobs report, Jay, as we try to understand what the Fed can do next. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely critical here. Uh, the, the FOMC meeting is coming up on September the 22nd. We're going to be looking very crucially at this report here. And, you know, if you get another print of 900,000, as we did um, in the last two months, that potentially opens up the door to maybe a taper here at the September meeting. On the other hand, if you know, those lower estimates are correct, at 300,000, you can take a taper in September off the table. You have the jobless claims number that comes out every week, inflation, consumer confidence, which was at a six-month low. How are you using the other economic reports out there to get a sense of what we'll see in today's jobs report? Well, there certainly is a lot of noise, um, you know, in, in all those sorts of different economic indicators. So one thing that we look at are we get these regional PMIs, like from Kansas City, New York, uh, Philadelphia, et cetera. And if you look at the service sector component, uh, of those, the employment component of those of those uh, reports, 
that's actually been quite strong. And so you know, there's a lot of reason to think that this report could be, be low. But if you look at those sorts of reports, that also would suggest that the service sector hiring held up pretty well in August. So, you know, there's there's a lot of noise here right now. Uh, we'll see what it prints. But you know, we th- we're thinking uh, we're going to get a number somewhere around 750000 The unemployment benefits are starting to expire depending on what state you live in, Jay. Uh, at the same time, you have companies sort of rethinking when should they allow employees back to work. How do you think these two factors uh, are starting to have an effect on the jobs um, story here in the U.S.? Yeah, so you know, I think in general, those sorts of things help to depress the number. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be a negative number, right? But if people are still concerned about going back to the office because of COVID, and there is survey data that shows that, you know, 2 million people are saying, I'm not going, I don't want to go back to work right now because of COVID. You know, if that happens, it has two things. One is you don't get the, you know, a big increase in, in terms of employment, at least in the household survey. And the other thing is it actually kind of brings the unemployment rate down. If people aren't out there looking for work, then everything else equal, that causes the unemployment rate to come down. So there's, there's a bunch of cross currents here because of the expiration of benefits and also because of these COVID fears. Yeah, and at the same time, companies aren't sure exactly what type of, uh, what what the the real plan is, right? There's some companies who are saying we'll allow employees to come back this fall. Goldman is saying early 2022. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you keep seeing this get pushed back further and further with return to the office. And another thing that we're seeing, just, you know, hearing anecdotally, is companies are are canceling conventions and they're canceling meetings and things of that nature. So, you know, if that continues to, to, to happen, then what you're going to see is that's going to hurt the travel industry. It'll help hurt leisure and hospitality in terms of hotels, restaurants, and things of that nature. So there certainly are a lot of risk out there as it relates to the labor market. Yeah. And by the way, in the travel and hospitality space, you're already seeing that show up. There's the weekly occupancy data that I follow every Thursday, and it's been declining for the last four consecutive weeks, which shows fewer people are checking into hotels. So uh, I hear your point there, Jay. Great to see you this morning. Thanks for walking us through your, your preview for this job support. All right, Jay, thanks for joining us. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, call it the booze indicator. A top Pernod Record executive joining us with a look at what's selling the best, who's buying it, and what that tells us about the global economy. But first, as we head to break, check out this week's best and worst performing S&P 500 stocks. We got utilities. That's the sector that's leading this week. Technology trailing, but still up 4.8%. Still a very busy hour ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Don't go away. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Spirits maker Pernod Ricard reporting strong full-year results this week. The return of bars and restaurants having a boost on the company's profit margins for alcohol sales paired with consumers continuing to purchase alcohol for at-home consumption. Joining us now in a CNBC exclusive interview is Anne Mukherjee, chairman and CEO of Pernod Ricard North America. Anne, pleasure to have you on this morning. Seema, great to be on. How are you? Good. I mean, alcohol sales uh, were strong during the pandemic, but we just saw consumers opting for home delivery. But as the economy reopens uh, in most parts of the world, but at the same time trying to figure out how to get around this Delta variant, people are returning to bars. So how much would you credit that to the, the big boost that you saw in your revenue this quarter? Yeah, I got to tell you quite a bit. Um, you know, globally, our sales pretty much rebounded well beyond pre-pandemic levels and really re- led a lot by the United States. Um, you know, we were up 16%. Um, you know, we passed the $2 billion sales mark for the first time. And convenience and premiumization, these are the two big trends that really drove the market. People really love having now their alcohol and spirits and, and brands they love being delivered at home. They're buying more premium brands and premium uh, types of drinks to make cocktails. Um, it's still a trend. And now that on-premise is beginning to reopen, we're not seeing any of that kind of in-home kind of store sales uh, slow down as we thought it would. So, you know, it, it's been a record year um, and a lot of our brands, it's the trusted brands that consumers turn to. So Jameson, Absolute, Glenn Levitt, you know, all these brands are up double digit and it's, and it's been incredibly resilient. Yeah, you have a really diversified portfolio brand, some of my favorites as well. But how are you thinking about the Delta variant? I mean, we are seeing certain cities and states respond with restrictions, mask mandates. Is that having an effect on how much consumers are willing to spend on alcohol? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Because people cannot travel, because people in some parts of the country where the Delta variant is really kind of more difficult, people are staying home. So they've got this disposable income and they're spending it on themselves and they're spending it on home entertainment. So whether they can go out or stay in, we're just seeing a lot of them experience spirits as a way to, you know, enjoy time with each other. Pernod Ricard shares are up about 18 percent year to date. A number of companies, in fact, and this earnings season have been raising prices from Kimberly Clark, the price of toilet paper to Hormel, the price of, of food. Uh, is this something that Pernod Ricard plans to do as well? I mean, if demand is so strong, why not raise prices on consumers? Well, here's the thing, and it's and it's not just the demand, which is very, very strong, but input costs are going up. Uh, we're seeing it not just in raw materials, but we're seeing it in distribution costs, supply chain costs. So, yes, there is inflationary pressure. So you are seeing pricing across the board, and it's, it's needed. Um, but consumers are willing to pay that premium. And so, you know, doing it the smart way is what we're looking at. Um, and I will tell you, it's, it's modernizing the industry. So we're getting much more data savvy. We're getting much better understanding at what price points people are willing to pay for what occasions. So, you know, it's, it's going to take that, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of that in FMCG. Mm-hmm. It's not coming to the alcohol industry. Seltzer, uh, you know, there are so many different there's so many different trends that are happening right now um, when you look at spirits, White Claw, whatever it may be. Well, what do you think is the most disruptive trend and how is Pernod Ricard trying to capitalize on that? Yeah, what I will tell you is if you look at uh, the business, there's a lot of um, uh, beverage consumption moving away from beer. 
and it's moving to seltzers, but it's really moving to spirits and wines and champagne. Champagne is through the roof. So for us, we're gaining a lot of those drinking occasions from beer and it's helping both seltzers and spirits. So it's it's worked very much to our favor. When we look at some of the competitive risks facing your company, um, it's, it's high raw material costs, it's inflation, it's growing your market share at a time when these restrictions are changing on a regular basis. But and from your perspective, what is the top risk, the top challenge? What keeps you up at night right now? What keeps me up at night is making sure um, I continue to be able to deliver the brands that our consumers are demanding. And it's about getting, getting, make sure we get the right supply in the right stores and the right hands and the right restaurants. And that kind of um, ability to forecast, um, it's, it's pushing the industry and pushing us at Pernod Ricard. That's why we have a huge transformation agenda around, you know, analytic predictions and more predictive data to be able to anticipate that. And, and, it's something that if we're going to go and continue to build share in the marketplace and grow the category, we're going to need to get really smarter about how we build our businesses. Yeah, I imagine it's a busy time. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And good to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank and, you for having me. And Mukherjee. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. If you make it, will they come? Hollywood Studios certainly hope so. We will talk about movies hitting the big screen this holiday weekend when Worldwide Exchange comes right back. Today's big number, 1.46 million. That's so many barrels of daily production that's been shut down in the Gulf of Mexico as a result of Hurricane Ida. Offshore production in the Gulf accounts for about 16% of daily output in the U.S. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines outside of the world of business. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning. We begin on this Friday with the president and the first lady paying a surprise visit to U.S. troops injured in Afghanistan last night. They visited Walter Reed to meet with the 15 Marines recovering at the hospital. They were all injured in the same attack that killed 13 other service members on August 26th. Federal resources will soon be on the way to California to help aid in the fight against the Caldor fire. President Biden has approved an emergency declaration for the state. It clears the way for a large amount of federal resources to help the more than 15,000 firefighters who are on the ground battling the massive blaze. It has burned over 210,000 acres. Officials say progress is being made. The fire is now 25 percent contained. Authorities also lifted evacuation orders in some areas. And taking a turn to something much lighter. After 40 years, ABBA is back with new music. Crazy 
The band released two songs and announced that a new album is coming on November 5th. The next year, there will be a digital concert experience in London. Sima, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some new music, ready for some new hits like uh, Winner Takes It All. That's oh, my yeah. all-time favorite. I know Dancing Queen is kind of the anthem, like the end of the night and, uh, you know, Girls Night Out. But uh, Winner Takes It All, and they can get something close to that. I'm good. I'm this happy. Is, I'll be done. I'm here for it. This is great. Did you know all these singers are in the in their 70s and yet they're still producing yes. music when you change your mind i mean so many good yep. songs from abba uh love it maybe we can go together to london i'll see you there francis all right see you and take care have a great take weekend care. all right let's move on to movies labor day weekend is not typically a standout time for the box office but this year could be different marvell's new movie is poised to break all-time box office records for labor day this weekend as the industry rounds out a relatively slow cinema summer for more, let's bring in Paul Derigarabedian, senior media analyst at Comscore. Paul, what is the movie to watch this weekend? Well, I think Shang-Chi is the movie. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a great way to end what was a pretty quiet summer for a lot of obvious reasons. And this is a theatrical first release, meaning this will not be on Disney Plus the same day as it drops in movie theaters. So all eyes are on this film. It's a Marvel movie. I think that Everyone is projecting around 40 million plus could do higher to beat the Labor Day opening weekend record. All it has to do is beat 2007's Halloween, which did $26 million in its opening weekend and 30 million for the four days, Friday through Monday for that Labor Day holiday. Paul, last time you and I talked, you were, you were saying that you're seeing a rebound in movie ticket sales. People are yeah. going to the movie theater. But with this Delta variant, is that changing? What are you seeing? You know, what I'm seeing is that people are really interested in the movies. If they want to see a movie, it's really that emotional connection. Because some of the movies have done quite well, like Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds. That movie earned, has now earned over $200 million globally. And that continues to be a great hit, holding week after week, doing great business. Uh, last weekend, Candyman opened quite well, better than expected. So if movies are opening better than expected, it means that the marketplace is interested. The consumers want to go to the movie theater, but they have to have a great reason to do so. I think audiences are being very selective in what they choose to see in the movie theater. And I think Shang-Chi is gonna do really well. It's got great buzz. Again, it's only available in theaters. If you wanna mm -hmm. see it and you hear about it, you have that fear of missing out, where do you have to go? You have to go to the movie theater. Or they just need to listen to you because your enthusiasm alone makes some of, some of us wanna there you go. <laughs> actually watch. Oh, what about mask mandates, uh, mandating vaccines? Has the industry sort of figured out uh, where they stand on, on this or is it really up to each individual theater and, and what city or state and what the restrictions are there? Yeah, I think it really is about that, but it is up to the individual. But I think the good news is for movie theaters, I have not heard of one single incident of anything related to COVID uh, happening in a movie theater. So that's good news. I think the theater owners realize how important it is to provide a safe and secure environment for their patrons. And they've done a great job of doing that in this very challenging year, no question about it. And studios are obviously, they're moving the films around. We saw this recently with Top Gun and Mission Impossible, the latest Mission Impossible movie. And I think that's more because Tom Cruise wants to be able to travel the world to uh, you know, really get out there and 
talk about the movie and, and his enthusiasm, I think, is what's really important. He's a big part of the marketing. If he can't be around the world traveling, he's not going to do it. Not just yet. But that means they're waiting. Tom Cruise and Paramount waiting for the movie theater to be at 100 percent and also for Tom Cruise to be able to travel and talk about the movie to audiences all around the globe. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if they'll get Top Gun out before the holidays or if they'll wait to the holidays. To your point, maybe that's when people are really in the mood. Maybe cases peak and they feel more comfortable being in that environment. But uh, clearly, yeah, uh, they've a lot actually, of factors that yeah, go they've into actually this moved Top Gun to next year. And, Got it. And, okay. And so that was just, I think, not a, not really anything against the movie theater. It's just that. To be able to market that movie properly, Tom right. Cruise wants to be able to go all over the yeah. world. But yeah, it's really an interesting time. I think streaming, of course, is a big uh, issue yeah. and, and it's it's a, certainly a competitive one. But I think that movies that play in theater first ultimately do better when they play on the small screen. Paul, good to see you this morning. Paul, Derek Garabedian. Have a great day. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to talk China, announcing plans to open a new stock exchange in Beijing and allow foreign investors to take part in its commodities futures trading. What does that mean? We will talk about that and more next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Good morning. Stocks trading at record highs yet again. Today's big test, the big August jobs report. Changes in China. Why two trading announcements are catching the attention of global investors. We'll head live to Beijing. Plus, it all started with books, but now Amazon reportedly ready to roll out its newest big product. We've got the details coming up. It's Friday, September 3rd, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. We are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour in New York. Let's take a look at futures. We were pointing to a higher open, and that seems to be exactly what we're seeing right now. The Dow Jones Industrial leading us higher by 50 points in pre-market. S&P 500 indicated open higher by around seven points. Let's go overseas and take a look at the trading action in parts of the world, starting with Europe, sort of a mixed day of trade led by Germany, which is just up fractionally. The FTSE 100 up by around 0.12 percent. Negative territory, France, Italy and Spain. Asia closing out uh, the week mixed as well. Economic data in China has been weak. And in Japan, uh, stocks are closing higher after the country's prime minister said he will not be running in the upcoming leadership election. Japan Nikkei, uh, you can see right there, up 2 percent on the day. What else has been moving? Well, Bitcoin has been a big uh, point of attention for the market. You can see higher by around 4 percent over the past week, but week to date, it's even higher, I think up around 10%. And not a great week for credit card stocks. Uh, take a look at Visa and American Express. Just taking a look at these two names, they're down about 3% just this week, the two worst performing stocks on the Dow, uh, the credit card names not having a great start to the month of September. Now to some of this morning's other headlines. Christina Parcel-Nevelis joining us with those. Hey, Christina. Good morning again, Seema. So you have Japan's Kyoxia reportedly planning to push forward with an IPO rather than accept a merger offer from Western Digital. Kyoxia was bought from Toshiba by a group of investors led by Bain Capital back in 2018. Toshiba still has a 40% stake in the chipmaker. 
Another company looking to incentivize workers to get vaccinated against COVID, Alaska Airlines will give employees who get the jab 200 bucks, though it is stopping short of a company mandate. And that's Alaska Air as well. Uh, Amazon is reportedly planning to launch its own branded TV in the United States as soon as next month. Business Insider says the TV has been in works for nearly two years. The device will be manufactured by a third party and be powered by Alexa and have a screen size in the range of 55 to 75 inches. And I do know that they launched this TV or a similar TV in India. So this is mm. not going to be the, their first time uh, getting into the hardware I know, but is there anything, Christina, that Amazon cannot do? I mean, now I feel like the only thing left is a wearable. Then they'll really give Apple a run for its money. Ah, aren't we defining a full monopoly there when you say that? It's true. And then you think about what Jeff Bezos is doing with space. It's all all hands on deck over there, clearly. Christina, great to see you. Thank Thank you. you. Now to some global news. There are two big trading announcements out of China in the last 24 hours. Eunice Yoon live in Beijing with those stories. Eunice. Thanks so much, Seema. Well, China is setting up a new stock exchange right here in Beijing, and it's also opening opening up its futures trading to foreign investors. Uh, Yesterday, President Xi Jinping had announced the plans for the Beijing Stock Exchange, saying that the focus is really going to be on supporting innovation-oriented SMEs, so smaller companies. Uh, Now, uh, the CSRC, or the SOX regulator, said immediately that it was very excited to uh, resolutely implement the plan. And today, the regulator just in the past hour fleshed out some more details. So the regulator said that the board is going to include select tier new third board shares. And new third board is um, kind of a precursor or, or a board that's that's been around in Beijing for about eight years or so. Not particularly successful, but now we're going to see a transfer of some of these uh, uh, shares to the Beijing Stock Exchange. Likely one of the reasons why uh, analysts say that this is a bit of a rebranding effort for the new third board to the Beijing Stock Exchange. Uh, secondly, the regulator said that no, there will be no price limit for the first day of trade and that the as of the second day, um, that uh, a trading is going to be capped at 30 percent. So the limit is going to be 30 percent. Now, that is uh, meant to uh, help attract and fund some smaller uh, Chinese companies that, as we all well know, um, have now some restrictions on their potential to look at uh, the overseas markets, such as New York, um, for potential fundraising. Now, separate to that, uh, the government today unveiled that it's going to be opening up the doors further for its futures trading. Uh, so the uh, um, authorities said that they're going to launch more futures contracts. This is going to include a shipping contract, launch a, a yuan-denominated commodities futures market. They plan to launch pilot schemes for IPR securitization. And then finally, they said they want to accelerate uh, getting more foreign investors into the, the domestic futures trading. Um, the vice chairman of the CSRC had added that part of the reason here is because they um, do think it would be good for uh, the country to have a greater role in international pricing when it comes to commodities and also to play a bigger role in the global financial markets more broadly. Seema? platforms. Uh, What are the implications for U.S. investors that like to trade stocks in China? 
Well, I think that um, what we could potentially see is already um, maybe not as much selection when it comes to the Chinese stocks that could be available in the U.S. Uh, we, I mean, we've already known that because of the restrictions that uh, the Chinese government, as well as the U.S. government, has been putting now on some of these Chinese companies. But uh, what we're seeing here, especially with the Beijing Stock Exchange, is potentially a way for uh, Chinese companies to say, well, if I can't go overseas and I have more opportunities here in Beijing, I'm just going to choose Beijing or Shanghai or Shenzhen. And that is really what, uh, you know, we're seeing the, the authorities here trying to move a lot of these companies uh, domestically. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, Eunice Yun, really interesting story. Thanks for bringing it to us today. Eunice in Beijing. Well, sticking with China, more signs today that the world's second largest economy may be slowing. A private gauge showing China's services sector slumping in contraction in August as restrictions to curb the Delta variant threaten the country's economic recovery. The Caxton Services PMI falling to 46.7 in August from nearly 55 in July. Now, that's the lowest level since the pandemic's first wave in April of last year. The survey, which focuses more on smaller firms in coastal parts of China, is in line with the official government PMI out earlier this week. Let's break it all down with Dewardrick McNeil, senior policy analyst at Longview Global and a CNBC uh, contrib contributor. What's your take on, on China's economy? I mean, it seems like it's turning for the worse here. Good morning, Seema, and thanks for having me. Look, I think some of this can be easily explained, as, as we have heard, uh, by the COVID outbreaks that happened uh, in the month of August. And, you know, China has a zero tolerance policy that has aggressive testing, contract tracing, as well as stay-at-home orders that's going to obviously impact output for factories, but also domestic consumption. So I think in the short term, that's how I would look at this. But over the long term, I think you raise a point. The economy is certainly slowing. And so the real question will be, what does this final quarter of 2021 looks like? And I think we should be prepared for less growth and for slowing. Now, to your earlier point about what China will do about it, look, the People's Bank of China has made it very clear that they're not going to adjust the way that they've been managing the economy. So there won't be any real stimulus juice to the broad economy, but there will be some targeted things that we see, a relending program that they announced earlier this week, to try and get local banks to loan to small and medium-sized enterprises. That's the buzz phrase here, small and medium-sized mm. enterprises who've been hard hit by the pandemic and slow to recover, Seema. If the economy continues to decelerate, do you think this could change China's sort of recent efforts around regulatory crackdown and other restrictions that the government has been putting in place? I think those things are fairly locked. I think China's playing a long game here and they're not going to allow for a quarter or two of, of tightening to really change what their long-term trajectory is. Some of the announcements that we're seeing is very clearly China saying, we have a model that we're comfortable at least trying, and we're going to push forward. We're having less and less trust of what our access to Western capital markets will be. And so a lot of this stuff China is looking to do for China, and we'll see how it goes. You heard our earlier report there from Eunice Yoon launching two different stock trading platforms. What does that tell you about how the Chinese are, are thinking about financial markets, the efforts to localize it while at the same time uh, in, encourage foreign investment? Your thoughts there? I really, really believe that China believes that capital markets at home 
are not as mature as they can be and should be given the external political environment. And so all of this trends towards China trying to do more for China. And they want a a lot of foreign investors to put their money into China, not in in New York or London. So again, we'll see how it goes. But this is what I think they're thinking. Back to regulation, you know, the biggest names in China from Alibaba to Baidu are sitting well off their 52-week highs. I think it's like 25 to 30 percent, right? Just a massive sell-off in these Chinese tech giants. What's your outlook? Well, I have said frequently that I would still wait to see what's going to happen in this sector before I jump in. I know there's been a lot of talk about the bottom and should you cash in. I think, look, what China has signaled here is that common prosperity, along with busting up monopolies, is a long-term effort. We're just seeing the beginnings of this every week. There's something new. And so if I'm an international investor, I'm still sitting still to see where this is going to ultimately end. And I just don't think we know enough at the moment. Yeah. And worth noting that just this week, uh, all of those Chinese tech giants are actually up. They've been rebounding here in September. Alibaba up 8 percent in the past week. Uh, outlook, though, as you say, uh, very complicated as we try to understand what comes next on the regulatory front from China. Duardrick, thank you for breaking all of this down with us. We appreciate your time today. Duardrick McNeil. Thank you, Seema. Coming up, it's the unofficial end to summer. And Labor Day weekend also traditionally brings a lot of travel. But a spike in COVID cases could be changing the game this year. We've got the latest numbers and the outlook straight ahead. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top morning stories. A group of current and former executives at hedge fund Renaissance Technologies will pay up to $7 billion to settle a tax probe with the IRS. Reports say this could be the largest tax settlement ever. Space company Firefly launched its unmanned Alpha rocket for the first time last night, but it suffered an issue a few minutes into ascent and exploded. The company said it was gathering information to determine the cause. And Reddit reportedly looking to hire advisors for an IPO. The online message board operator was valued last at $10 billion following a fundraising round last month. Big story there. Stay tuned. More coming up here on Worldwide Exchange. Labor Day could bring heavy travel traffic this year, even as the CDC has recommended that unvaccinated Americans not travel at all. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Vicki Walker, senior travel reporter at The Points Guy. Vicki, it's good to see you. And I've been watching a lot of data points in recent weeks, whether it's hotel occupancy, which has fallen over the last four to five weeks, now at 61 percent, or TSA numbers, which show that fewer people are, are boarding flights. Do these data points suggest that, I mean, this Labor Day weekend won't be as strong when it comes to travel? People are rethinking whether they should get out there. Thank you for having me. Uh, We are starting to see that slowdown of uh, summer travel. At the beginning of the summer, we were, the travel industry was really excited for, you know, rising vaccination rates, uh, um, lowered hospitalization rates, and this was supposed to be the summer of travel. People were extremely excited to get back out there, uh, to travel internationally, to travel domestically, and now we're starting to see a slowdown, and that's because of a few things. Um, Obviously, that is uh, due to the coronavirus situation in the U.S., but also um, more people, just from what I'm seeing in my own reporting, more people are 
more likely to want to stay home uh, going into Labor Day and going into uh, the fall. Uh, more people will want to stay closer to home, uh, rather. How has that affected prices? I know I've seen the average uh, cost of a, of a hotel room come down, but are there good deals right now? They're always good deals. And that's the important thing to know. Uh, flight deals can happen at any point. Um, I tell people this all the time. Um, there is no secret sauce for booking those cheap uh, flight deals. You just have to um, be ready to book when you see a cheap uh, fare. I mean, I, we're always seeing um, flights to Europe around $400, uh, business class flights to Europe sometimes, around $1,500 to $1,800. Uh, those cheap flights uh, between uh, parts of the East Coast and Miami or Orlando, uh, those typically hover around $50 to $70. Even transcontinental flights uh, can hover around $150. And so um, mm. even though we're seeing the slowdown in travel, um, the flight deals, the hotel deals are still there. Yeah, you got to hunt for those deals. Uh, what do you make of this, this new guidance from the CDC that, hey, if you're unvaccinated, stay at home? Do you think Americans listen to the CDC? Do they respond to the guidance coming from the CDC? It's, I would say it's, in, it's important to know that um, this, this guidance is not really unsurprising. The CDC has consistently said uh, if you are unvaccinated to, uh, number one, get vaccinated, but to avoid doing things that would put you in contact with other unvaccinated people, but also vaccinated people. And so going into the Labor Day uh, holiday, it's going to be interesting to see if we see a rebound in um, air, air travel or if we see a continuous slowdown. But again, it, it is important to note that we have been seeing the slowdown in air travel for the last couple of weeks or so, which is Again, uh, the complete opposite of what we were seeing in uh, the early summer, we, we were hitting, you know, air travel was hitting it well over 2 million um, every day. Hottest destination right now, quickly, Vicki? Hottest destination right now, I would say uh, parts of the Caribbean, um, Mexico City, uh, Europe is a really big um destination right now. Um, people are going to Paris, Rome, uh, Sicily. So I would say those are really the, the hottest destinations for travelers right now. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm seeing right now as well. The Caribbean, that, you, that market has just been red hot over the last six months. Vicki, great to see you. Thank you. Vicki Walker. Thanks so much for having me. From TPG. Coming up, could today's job support be a game changer for the Fed? What investors need to know next? And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. A strong start to the month for stocks. The best performing names on the Dow this week. Take a look at Walgreens. It's up nearly 7%. And then there's Apple. It, had a, a, it outperformed in the month of August. And now here in the first week of September, it's up nearly 4%, trading at $153 a share. Now, today's big market focus will be the jobs report due at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Polled forecasters say the economy likely added 720,000 non-farm jobs last month. The unemployment rate is seen ticking lower 
to 5.2%. Joining us now, Joanne Feeney of Advisors Capital Management. Uh, you're recommending, Joanne, clients look at how they should be positioning themselves ahead of this jobs report. The stakes seem to be high, right? If this jobs report is too strong, then questions around how that moves up the Fed's timetable. If it's weak, we're, start gonna, we're gonna perhaps question what Jay Powell told us this last Monday. Yeah, good morning, Seema. You know, clearly there's a lot of attention on this jobs report. Um, it wouldn't surprise us if it came in a little bit light because, you know, the COVID variant obviously spiked up in August. We're also um, getting indications that folks are being a little bit patient about when they want to go back to the to the market to get jobs. And we think partly that's because kids have been still out of school in a lot of parts of the country. That will obviously change after Labor Day, where some of the last public school systems do go back uh, after Labor Day. So it wouldn't surprise us if it came in a little bit light. I think there's going to be a lot more uncertainty about this report than most others. But, you know, investors really need to keep in mind what's important for the long term, uh, where they should be focused uh, in their investments. We've positioned clients to be uh, exposed to stocks that do well uh, as the tapering begins, where in interest rates, you know, eventually do come up. So you want to have that kind of insurance in the portfolio. And you can find that in say, financials, for example, some insurance companies, some banks, um, but also to make sure to stay exposed to the sort of companies that are going to give them some upside as the economic recovery continues. And so while it might be a little bit bumpy here as, to, as this morning's report will, uh, will, will reveal, uh, I, I think ultimately, you know, all these shortages we're hearing about resolve slowly over time, which really provides an ongoing tailwind to economic recovery, to growth in sales for companies, and to growth in profits. Got it. So the way you're trading this job support and this overarching narrative around the Fed is go long on the financials. You like the banks. Uh, talk to me about your about emerging markets, which I see here you have some allocations in. Uh, this, this idea that if the Fed does move, that would certainly be bad news for emerging markets that hold a lot of dollar-denominated debt. Yeah, that's a really good observation, Seema. You know, we're not exposed to emerging markets um, as a broad concept, but more looking for the companies that happen to be in emerging markets that will see new economic drivers going forward. Uh, so for example, we own for clients C Limited, which is an e-commerce gaming platform. It's involved in digital payments. It's located in Southeast Asia, um, Malaysia, Singapore, Taiwan, but it was also broken into Brazil. And so while those countries might be slower to see the recovery because they're battling COVID more than we are, they have less of a vaccination rate there. Um, they are also, though, transitioning their economies more to e-commerce and digital payments. And so we think that's a good opportunity. So looking at companies specifically in emerging markets can you know, reveal some opportunities. We also do think that international exposure at this point is a very good way to diversify portfolios and gain some growth. Emerging market um, multiples are much lower than in the U.S. for partly the reason that there's more risk there. Yeah. But we do think that the reopening in the U.S. gets a booster after Labor Day and that reopening in, in international markets is going to take longer, but that provides a later tailwind to portfolio. So what does that mean for your U.S. outlook? We have the S&P 500, 54th record close trading at 4,500. Where, where does it land at by the end of the year? Well, you know, a lot of people forget when they look at those record highs for the market that the market generally makes record highs, right? And the reason is because, uh, you know, economies are growing. Population is growing. Technology is advancing. And so sales and profits generally go up over time. Obviously, it's a bumpy... Right. 
uh, path, as we've seen. But if you look at earnings growth year over year for the third quarter, it's going to be up, it looks it. like, about as much as the market. All right. And We're so ultimately, we do expect further, further growth in the market here. Joanne, sorry to cut you off. Great to see you. Thank you for your time today. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm Seema Modi. Squawk Box is next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.